0: everything you need to know about commercial aviation. This is Layovers. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul pavetti Hello everybody, this is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. We would like to apologize for the very, very long delay in getting that flight in the air. Uh, Our flight time today will be an hour and seven minutes and we expect a non-time arrival, we promise you that. Coming up on this flight, want a million freaking flyer miles? We have to be born on a Cebu Pacific flight or win the Olympic gold for Singapore. British Airways charters a 747 to fly athletes home, but no word if they also cut the second hot meal like on all their other rounds. In the US, being a multi winner won't get you upgraded on United, but unlike Delta, they won't mistake New Mexico for Mexico. Airbus is going white-body for regional flights, but also planning flying taxis. Will those accept smart carry-ons, like Alex loves them, or augmented reality MN tickets, like Emirates just released? As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast signal sign for you. Yeah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Sit back, and relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 45 to Rome. Hi, Alex. Rome,
1: yeah. This is a good one. This is this is your Iron Maiden trip, isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. Which we talked about in the last episode, but I want to hear more about it because not a lot of yeah. people I know go to another country to go to a concert. So there's a story <laughs> there which I'm looking forward to hearing.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you at the end. Please ask me at the end. Uh, and Rome is an interesting airport. It has changed. Uh, I hinted at that in the last episode as well. It has changed in a in a good way. So I'll get to there. <laughs> First, a few reviews we've got of uh, iTunes. Amazing. Thank you, guys. We've yeah, got, thanks like, for taking the time to do that, guys. Yeah, this is really, really appreciated. We have four new reviews. All are uh, five stars. Wow. Uh, one says, fantastic podcast in all caps. The uh, This podcast is great for anyone who likes getting to the airport early and watching the planes land and take off. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Uh, someone says "And says, hello I don't know who you are because you're MCT567 <laughs> after listening to Paul speak at a travel conference in the UK I wanted to hear more of this podcast it's just the right length and full up-to-date news keep it up so yeah, thank you I don't know who you are but we probably maybe met or at least you heard me and a great aviation podcast great with like all caps as well again from Woody42912 from the US <laughs> uh, and uh, he's, he says that is he or she actually uh, says especially a uh, great podcast to listen to especially while flying and eating a meal on board it's exactly <laughs> what you, you like it to aids do AIDS digestion as <laughs> <question>. <laughs> uh, also LA Flair uh, on Twitter at LA Flair flyer so without the uh, E he's always very enthusiastic about listening uh, to us so thank you so much for the, the mention and finally uh, a quick mention I was invited to another podcast which has a very also good uh, reviews. It's called Aviation Extended. We mentioned it a few times already on this show. Uh, so basically, if you want to hear me babble about aviation a little bit, what we do here with Alex every uh, not every week I was about to say every two weeks now, uh, you can go. I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a
1: it's a great conversation and it's a it's a great show. So so check it out. I, I really enjoyed listening to it. I, I, I think. Um, you uh, you guys uh, had a very, very good rapport.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. There was on the same episode, there's Marissa from Flying Geeks. She, she also writes for Skiff from time to time. She's a great, great, great person in terms of everything Paxx, so the passenger experience. And our friend Mark, the pilot for BA 747, the author. Wow, that's of, an all-star uh... lineup. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'm, I'm fitting right there. But I mean, that was very kind of them to invite me. So thank you. We had a lot of fun. Actually, we spent an hour talking about aircrafts and airplanes before hitting the record button. And we should have just recorded that because it was amazing. Uh, I had a great time. Uh, One thing I didn't know. Did you know there was a National Aviation Day in the U.S.? I did not
1: know that until you told me about it. (laughs) It's a a shame that I... I feel kind of embarrassed that I didn't know about it, because what a great day. Today, August 25th, is National Burger Day, so equally as important (laughs) in my life. Um, (laughs) But how cool that there's a National Aviation Day, and it's not something that's just on a calendar. There's there's some big stuff that that happened on this day.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of activities. Uh, It's our friend Elizabeth, who lives in D.C., who was uh, telling me about it. Really, I was clueless. Uh, there was one story on CNN.com that was really fun. There were like uh, a few AV geeks, people like us, were probably more hardcore than us, would got clearance to visit 10 airports in the US, uh, London, plus also some restricted facilities of American Airlines all in that day. That's wow. <laughs> Why don't we pitch that to some airlines and just do it, Alex? I know
1: it's a great idea. It's a great idea. Yeah. They got to go up in the towers. They got to go, you know, behind the scenes, which is fascinating. And I think a really, really good idea to, to show how complex the industry is. And and it's, it's not magic. Well, it is magic, but you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of people doing a lot of different jobs to get us from A to B. But yeah, National Aviation Day has been around since 1939. Oh wow. And the reason it's August nineteenth is because that's Orville Wright's birthday. Oh, I see. And it was signed wow. into into being by by FDR in 1939 because of that. So so it's uh yeah, it's it's lovely. I think yeah, it's, it's a it's a great a very idea. important thing.
0: Yeah, I don't think we have any of that here in Europe or in other countries. I, I should sure look it so. up. I have no clue, but I don't think so. Uh another it's not related to the National Aviation Day, but it's also one of full day of epic av geekery is uh brett a cranky flyer he had his 10th anniversary of his blog i think and he went through eight airports in a single day what oh. a day must have been
1: <laughs> yeah that's a he's a glutton for punishment brett's a, a great guy uh i met him years ago at during my virgin america days and he he's a very important critic of the airline industry and critic in a sort of you know movie critic Kind of position, not a, not, not always negative. Um, but this trip, I mean, there's the LA Times had a great feature on it, and he must have been broken
0: by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the cool thing is that airlines pulled through. They actually helped him because, you know, making eight airports in a day with the potential of delays, et cetera, et cetera, and the short connections and whatever. Southwest were like there and helping him go, go from one air, aircraft to the other. So that was, you know, a great thing. You can see, you know, the airline industry are nice people, they will help you make crazy shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I mean it was it was based on a on a Southwest promo where if you fly 10 one-way flights within California, you get a companion pass. So he tried to do it. He did it in one day and he kind of bounced around all these places. And Southwest saturation in California is almost total, so you can bounce around all these places, but it's so cool. What a neat it's worth reading the story. He 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 did a good job.
0: Yeah. Talking about crazy story this time from someone who's probably not an AV geek. Uh, have you seen that story of that guy running to catch his Ryanair flight on the Madrid tarmac? This which is
1: insane. insane. <laughs> so for those of you that are of our vintage, you'll recall the movie Dumb and Dumber, where uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd Christmas, played by Jim Carrey, runs off the end of the uh, jetway and falls flat on his face. This isn't that different. This guy no. actually went to the end of an empty jet bridge... Busted open the fire alarm, so the alarm went off. Jumped down
0: onto the tarmac and sprinted to his airplane. It was not even the right airplane because he sprinted to one Ryanair aircraft that he saw in front of him, yep. which was not the one. But that's all on video, guys. So you can actually see it if you go on the link that we'll put in the show notes, which is just crazy. But the thing which I don't understand first—I mean, let's talk security later—but Apparently he made his flight.
1: Yeah, that's what I can. He actually made his flight. They actually <laughs> let him on the flight. What? <laughs> it's not a. It's not a bus. It's not like oh, the the driver will stop and let you come on. You- I mean, the the folks that run the Madrid airport were quick to point out that he'd gone through all those security, you know, protocols that we all would have. He just decided to take matters into his own hands. And when they got to, I think they were going to the Canary Islands, he was promptly. Arrested, arrested yeah uh, which is good, but that how I don't even this is hilarious <laughs> it's funny because you know no one got hurt he could have been very badly hurt the the ramp of a busy airport
0: like Madrid is an incredibly dangerous place if you don't know what you're doing but and also ju- jumping jumping off a, a jet bridge it's not it's not that low right it's still you know you can no. see he's not jumping like head first by the way right he's not totally wasted or something so yeah but Of course, some people were talking about what about security? Yeah, you're right. He went already through most of the security, but still, yeah, what uh, went through his mind to just like jump off a jet bridge to get on this plane? But I I don't know.
1: (laughs) It's insane.
0: Would you ever do that?
1: No, no. I mean, well, actually, thinking (laughs) about it, probably.
0: I will note one thing though. I've never taken Ryanair in Madrid, so I don't know whether or not that's the case. But that would be one of the only airports that offers a jet bridge for a Ryanair flight, because usually you bust. You never go through like a jet bridge. That's true, <laughs> but he, he may have just used the jet bridge to
1: get onto the tarmac, the tarmac and then yeah, jump up the stairs. Who knows? I craziness absolutely it's like something like it is literally something out of a movie
0: yeah talking about something out of the movie uh, less fun but thankfully no one was hurt i mean i think one firefighter was hurt everybody talked about that a few weeks ago there was this for the first time in emirates history a full loss of uh, an aircraft a triple seven crash landed uh dubai airport wow yeah uh, quite a story But the good thing, because then we can go on about speculation why it happened, and we'll maybe talk a little bit about it. But the good thing is the evacuation went super fast. People were out in the 90 seconds frame. No one was hurt. Everybody was able to escape before the plane uh, was engulfed in flames. So, wow.
1: Yeah, I think if you're going to be in an accident or you're going to have an accident of this scale, then this is how you want it to play out. I mean, you never want this type of thing to happen. but. The way that Emirates handled it on every single level was quite extraordinary. As you say, the the evacuation was done in a textbook fashion, and you know it's it's a tragedy that that fireman or firefighter lost their life. Given the scale of the of the fire and the crash, it is a miracle that no one else was was even injured. But quite an extraordinary thing. And I, I you know, again, like you said, speculating to the cause, but it looks like it was just this perfect one in a billion combination of, of issues that happened right as this plane was landing.
0: Um, yeah, extreme conditions. We yeah. have to never to forget that uh, Dubai airport is extremely hot, so that sometimes puts the uh, the digital equipment out of whack, so you have to be particularly... There was an article from an ex-emirates an ex- pilot who said, you know, it's not as easy to land in such conditions as it is in normal conditions we would have in Paris, London, or New York. Yep. And There might have been something. uh, Was the plane attempting a turnaround and then the the computer gave like contrary orders? We'll see about that. The thing is, what I'm most impressed at is that Emirates never had lost the plane before and Dubai never had seen such an accident before. And for both of them, they were able to go textbook into like how to... Get the the firefighters and the scene out to evacuate the plane swiftly. We know that the industry learns that, but when an airline never had that, or an airport never had that, you are always wondering, will they be up to the task whenever it happens? And it proven it that from everything, from the actual things that were happening on the ground to the communication that were happening to the public, to the press, etc., the way they also supported families. It seems that it's pretty textbook. It's pretty impressive, I must admit. For me, reinforced my admiration for Emirates
1: and Dubai Airport. I think they handled it brilliantly. And again, you never want this type of thing to happen, but it showed, as you say, this is the first time that this has happened to them or to the airport. And it just went fine. And I don't think there was a single word of criticism to anybody involved.
0: No, no, exactly. And, uh, you know, there was somebody that said, I think it was on Twitter, uh, said, you know, You're, these young flight attendants are just not there to smile and serve you drinks. And they proved it, right? Yeah, <laughs> so- absolutely.
1: They're, you know, it is interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this trend as well, but certainly on a lot of the airlines I fly, when the captain does their, uh, their welcome, they always say that the crew are here primarily for your safety and security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and to watch the the safety briefing, but it's true. It, they, that's what that's what they're there for is to make sure that that we're all safe and sound, and then to make us comfortable.
0: Yeah. There was a, a bit of debate, of course, because like with that Aziana flight, who crashed at San Francisco. We saw images. I mean, first of all, it's unbelievable. It seems that everything will be filmed. In in the next few years, we'll have, like, portable cameras. There was an actual film from a passenger inside during the evacuation. Let's not go whether it was right or not to do it, uh, because that's my point here. Some people were taking their carry-ons with them, some of their belongings while the plane was evacuating. So of course, a lot of people were complaining about that. I mean, again, textbook people went out in the allotted time, nobody was hurt. It's true that when you see these images from the outsider point of view, like, come on, why the hell? Uh, I don't know. What I would say is, is not to defend any other passengers, but is to say that in extraordinary and very high pressure environment that even you and me are not used to, we don't know how we would actually react. And maybe some people, you know, just automatically, because that's the thing you do when you go out of an aircraft, you take your stuff. Maybe some of the people, you know, because the flight was coming from India, maybe the belongings were really important to them. So again, I'm not finding excuses. I'm saying that, and we will invite someday, we have someone that we want to invite who, who actually studies that kind of thing. It, to, to see that it's not just black and white. You cannot just say, oh, these passengers are stupid. They shouldn't have taken their belongings. Yes, we know they shouldn't. And you can hear in the film that the, the crew is telling them to leave the luggage behind, like they repeat it over and over and over. But you know, still you have that debate. Did you do you have any thoughts about that? One?
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's it's the same reason why they still tell you how to fasten and unfasten your seatbelt. Yeah, uh, and in the safety videos, we're all looking at that, going, "I'm pretty sure I can figure out the mechanics of a seatbelt." But in the throes of an emergency, you're used to the car. Co- I think we've talked about this on past episodes. You're used Correct. to pressing a button and releasing it. And when you're panicking, and you're that's that sort of Muscle memory is is leading you astray. That can cause problems, and I think it's the same thing when you get off the airplane. Your natural inclination is to grab the things that are important to you. And actually, right after this Emirates incident, I was I was chatting with a, a, a few people, all of whom were were in the airline industry, and I they all said, "Look, yeah, I can understand it in a way. You want to grab at the very least your passport, your passport, you know, yeah. because if it's destroyed and then you're stuck, and then you know, there's a there's a queue for, to for the other people to get." their passports taken care of. You can see the thought process in somebody's mind that would suggest, yeah, I I, at the very least want to grab, you know, and we all have the different perceptions of what's valuable to us. To me, it would probably literally be my passport, but for someone else, it may be that treasured family heirloom that they might have, or the camera that they just got. I'm not going to place any judgment on anybody's perception Mm -hmm. of value, but you can see how someone would think... I need to grab my my cabin bag.
0: And also in Insight, when you look at the video, we know that like three minutes later, huge flames are engulfing the plane. When you look at the video, yes, the plane has just crashed land, so I'm not diminishing that, but the plane is in one full piece. There seems to be a lack of, not a lack of urgency, that's overstatement, but, you know, like you said, your muscle memory kicks in, you're like, what's going on, you know, and you don't see the flames, so maybe you're not reacting like immediately like, Again, I just want to say that we shouldn't be black and white. No. Uh, and you're right. Uh, repeating over and over some stuff at the beginning is important. There was it said that I think I also mentioned that BA used to have uh, this uh, real plane exercises. You can actually, you and me, we can actually go and take and pay for a day. I think they stopped it because they changed the facilities. It's too bad because when you're in that, and people know if they listen to the show that you will tell the passenger next to you where is the emergency exit. You'll point that If to I them. know them, yeah. I, yeah, if exactly. I, if
1: I'm traveling with somebody, yeah, I usually and my it drives my wife crazy, but that's something because that somebody in in aviation safety taught me, and it just it just I always glance around and go, okay, if something bad happens, where's how am I gonna
0: get off? That's the thing I was getting to. actually, if the plane is full black, which is not the case in the Emirates here, but you don't see anything, yeah, and some of the electricity, you know, fails. Do you know, and I'm not asking you, I'm asking our listeners, do you actually know how many seats you're supposed to count before the exit? You might not. You'd be lost. It's it's yeah. important to actually have some situational awareness of where you are. I'm not saying to overdo it and to, you know, to make the entire plane crazy about your emergency anxiety. But, I mean, some of the stuff is important. Yeah, I, think I mean, absolutely.
1: Right. And when I did that flight to... Shanghai, uh, a while ago, and they had to reboot the airplane and it was pitch black. You go, Oh, yeah, wow, the, it really is dark. And that's another reason why they ask you to open the, the window blinds on takeoff and landing because if something bad happens, you want natural light to come in and you also want the emergency services to be able to Look see through. in and assess the situation inside. But, you know, we've seen it in, as you said, Asiana, we saw it in the BA Las Vegas engine fire. An extraordinary amount of people taking their their cabin baggage off, and it. I'm really excited to talk to this to this chap that you found, that is a psychologist and 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 has some theories about this. Just to understand
0: how we can fix this and and the root causes of it. One of the most talked points after the incident with Emirates. Was should we have a system that automatically locks the overheads? So basically, when you are, you know, the flight attendant, for instance, we'd have a button that centrally locks in the entire plane all the overheads. I'm first of all, there's a cost, of course. I mean, you have to retrofit all the planes and blah blah blah. Then, would you think that really would prevent me if I were, let's say, I'm that kind of guy? Suddenly, I panic and I want to take my whatever, my passport. And I still put my hand, it's like, why is it not opening? Why is it? Yeah, Am exactly. I, not, like, I think so- it's just
1: going to cause more panic. I don't think that's going to work. And as you say, there's a cost, there's a weight implication. One of the things that I did see floating around, I think it was on Twitter, was a suggestion that we have to redo the uh, safety video and safety briefing content to really emphasize this point that seriously, don't grab anything. It's just not worth it. Because they really. Don't talk about it any more aggressively than anything else, and I understand it. You don't want to sort of dwell on something like you, you know, I'm gonna a, crash, a crash, yeah, because you know, <laughs> they are in the highly unlikely event, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that's probably you know one arrow in the quiver of of, of solving this problem.
0: Was it the movie Airplane when they're showing on the IFE like an airplane crash or something?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's exactly what you want to avoid, right? (laughs) And to finish off this uh, Emirates story with a nice twist, one of the survivors just won the lottery afterwards.
1: I know. Come on. It's the most incredible story. It's like a bad movie script. He won, a, he won not a small amount of money either.
0: Yeah, no, I think 1 million. Which, which, well, I don't remember the currency. Was it $1 million? Or, uh, but anyway, it's a, it's a, He's a millionaire now. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Anyway, I don't want to crash for that, though. No, still. I think I, yeah, uh, exactly. I'd rather be sor- broken alive than dead and rich. <laughs> one story you pointed out to me the other day is at Emirates, since we're on Emirates, is releasing new amenity kits for Coach. And that's great because once, you know, we're talking about Coach. And uh, they have a feature that, uh, an augmented reality feature. So if you point out your phone in front of one part of the amenity kit, it creates some feedback to your phone and you get, uh, what do you get, actually? I'm not even sure. It's,
1: it's very cool. So this was uh, from our friend Johnny at the Design Air. And the fact that, the, that it's an economy amenity kit that looks so damn good is... I mean, have you seen them? They're
0: beautiful. Yeah, they look really beautiful. I've, I've seen the company. So Blipar is a startup that does this type of thing. I've seen them in the UK where basically they can transform almost any type of... Uh, design or drawing into something that can be read by your phone and yeah. entrance and create something. So that's what so, they do. So you get and
1: content with, you know, I think it's music and in flight health tips and activities and things like that. And I think it's less about the content and more about the amenity kits themselves, which
0: are great and the technology used to do it. It's just neat. Nice to see, you know, some stuff done in coach. Uh, quickly, since we're on Emirates, uh, their partner is Qantas. Qantas was having issues for a long time financially, and they seem to have completely reversed the trend because they just announced $1 billion in profit. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> yeah, so they really, there was a lot of cost-cutting. It was not easy, not easy on the cruise, not easy on a lot of things. They went also some of the stuff, the cost-cutting as the passengers, you can apparently feel it. I haven't flown them for like more than 15 years, so I cannot judge, but... Wow. You know, we always hear stories about airlines struggling. It's nice for once to see an airline that is actually doing so well. Yeah,
1: uh, it really is. And you, as you said, they really struggled for a long time and I think uh, had some growing pains with the A380. And this this partnership with Emirates seems to have really worked out well for them, um, as you said. I i don't think I've ever flown on Qantas. Yeah, I have. But I mean, I guess maybe even 20 years ago. I'd uh... like to. I'd like to. I just um,
0: I need to get out to Australia first, obviously. No, actually, you could. Uh, oh, I could do London Dubai, couldn't I? Exactly, exactly. Some of the flights that are marketed Emirates are Qantas and the opposite. So you could actually end up in a Qantas flight. So okay. yeah, you could, that's uh, totally a good idea. That. I want to do that. Yeah, you don't need to go that far. <laughs> I mean, that far, still Dubai. But. Yeah, but apparently it's a great airline. People always, uh, you know, say. And talking about, you know, safety record, I think is one of the best, if not the best, safety yeah, record ever. It right? is, uh, it
1: is. And I've seen, I've read some uh, some trip reports on uh, on airliners, and the, certainly the premium product looks incredible. And I actually think that the, the improvement in quality in Virgin Australia has helped Qantas as well by not allowing them to rest
0: on their laurels. From one billion in profit to one million miles, uh, Cebu Pacific uh, had a baby born on one of its plane, which is very rare, and uh, they offered that baby one million miles. That's this is pretty lovely. pretty cool. This is sweet. This is uh, so, so great. Guys, you know what you have to do if you want to transform your kid into a Navy geek, give birth at Cebu Pacific uh the other actually there was another one million miles since we were on one million miles schooling the uh, the swimmer from uh, singapore that won on swimming the first ever gold medal for singapore singapore airlines offered him as well one million oh, miles nice. <laughs> yeah so that's your second way of being a navy geek you have to win a win gold the big medal gold. no yeah, problem oh, I, but we'll,
1: we'll talk later that uh that doesn't necessarily guarantee you good treatment
0: Let's go to the US for a little bit. First, there was an article that was sent to me by Gen Kanai from The Economist, where basically it goes into what we always say about what could the US alliance do to get better. And it's true that we always also say that if you compare it by continent, it's not a very relevant comparison, but there's always like the great stuff is in Asia and the Middle East, then Europe is okay, and then the US is always like not really that good, right? Um, And there was another article in the Wall Street Journal with the title is pretty, it it says a lot, it says why the big three airlines are so much the same. Of course, it comes back to the stories we also talked about, which is somewhat of a lack of competition. So the three big airlines are just matching each other. If one decides not to go for IFE anymore, the two others remove the IFE. If one wants to change the um, frequent flyer program to being based on the amount of money you spend, the two others are also imitating it, meaning that it creates less and less less and less of a difference in the airline. Is it something, at least in coach, is it something that you felt?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In- There's such a homogenous experience across the big three big three airlines. They lack any personality, and any personality they do have is entirely manufactured. I think that's why it's so much easier for airlines like Southwest and JetBlue and and virgin america to stand out when you move away from that blandness you know even if the product isn't you know orders of magnitude different or or even better you can by just injecting a little bit of personality and thinking slightly differently
0: you can really stand out so i I haven't flown them domestically as much as you probably did which is why but it's understandable if you have only three big ones and they have this huge market And they have to compete. They'll be very close to each other. I mean, in Europe, because of the segmentation of the markets, even though there's one big open skies in Europe, but because of the various different countries, we end up with slightly differentiated products. And Asia is even bigger than that because you have a huge continent with tons of countries and different cultures that creates, again, this type of dynamism that it might be like in the U.S. Though, interestingly, the U.S. three was like, ah, these Middle Eastern careers have subsidized, blah, 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 blah. They lost it. Now they lost that argument. And interestingly enough, Delta is now releasing a new business product, which is pretty amazing. It's called the One Suite, and it's the first ever business product with your own doors. You know, the doors you'd usually have in first class with, you know, the Singapore, Emirates, uh, Etihad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They will offer, of course, it's not as big, but they will offer a product with your own door, a lot of privacy. So they are differentiating in the end, right? Yeah,
1: they're trying and I think it you know, it doesn't look too bad. The pattern on the seat is weird. Maybe I'm not hip enough to appreciate it, but yeah, it's a good product. I mean, just from the pictures, obviously I haven't experienced it yet. It's still not up there with, you know, the the top 10 airlines in the world, but it's an improvement and hopefully as we've seen in the the transcontinental market in the US, Hopefully, this type of thing will spur on the other U.S. carriers to, to innovate. Of course,
0: the caveat in all this that was the same for the Polaris product from United is that the rollout will be very limited or and or will take a long time. But yes. still... Still, it's nice to see that they're doing efforts, uh, as in, and it means that there's a demand for that. Because if you know they are trying to reduce costs, but at the same time offer that kind of cities, that there are people, or there are maybe corporates that are ready to pay for such a product. So you know, at the end of the day, competition is good because Absolutely. if one does it, the next will try to do it, right? It's. Uh, uh, but talking about the state of the U.S. market, I had no clue that American Airlines still had some MDATs. Yeah, loads. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Loads, yes, Lodes. exactly. They really do have tons of them. And I think it's been such a huge component of their fleet. They had 370 of them at one point that oh. were the kind of the backbone of their domestic market. And they still have 50 left. But the other day, yesterday, day before yesterday, they retired 45 in one go. And they flew them all out to Roswell, New Mexico with one of the boneyards out there. And wow. at, at one point, there was one landing at Roswell every five minutes. Must have been so cold. Which must have been it. like, for a moment there, Roswell it must have been one of the busiest airports in America. But the...
0: Um, <laughs> I think the first customer was Suisse back in the days when it still existed. And I remember that I flew that as a kid. So for me, it was this plane doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, well, apparently it's there. Yeah, um, it's, it's still there. I want to fly it, though. I love flying these old, you know, planes. It's nice before they get retired. I mean, it it doesn't probably get the same echo, maybe not deserve it, as the 747 that are retiring. But still, it's nice to see these old planes retiring. I, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely.
1: And I think that, I don't think they're going anywhere. I'm sure you'll see them flying around the skies, especially as cargo conversions. But the average age of those planes they retire was 28 years old. And they were
0: domestic, so the cycles must have been through the roof. Uh, talking about something that is very old is the IT system in the U.S. It was a nice article by Skift on that if you're interested. Uh, not going to dwell on it. Basically, the story, we know it. All the IT systems, all the software was written like, you know, in the Neanderthal age, like thousands of years ago. And of course, <laughs> it keeps failing. Delta had a huge fail uh, a few weeks ago where basically the entire network was down. So all the planes were grounded. Nothing was working. That created a lot of mess. Interestingly, it started because of power outage.
1: Yeah, it was just a knock-on effect and I think this article is is great at explaining the kind of the interconnectedness and not in a good way of all of these 30, 40, 50-year-old systems on top of newer, you know, web APIs. It just if one falls over,
0: everything falls over. Uh, another quick uh, jog at uh, Delta. There was a story where uh, some of their customer representatives Did uh, mistakenly, uh, misunderstood that New Mexico and Mexico are not the same thing. So this passenger was trying to go to New Mexico and they were telling him, you need to have your passport. So (laughs)
1: embarrassing.
0: Another story that is not very important to the industry, but that was quite, that JetBlue flight. Wow. That must have been quite something because the toilet was dislocated.
1: Yeah, it must have been incredible turbulence. Because you're right, there's a picture that someone posted on Twitter of the of the the aft toilet was completely ripped from its housing. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, unbelievable! Uh, I must be quite something. Or, or the the toilet was really badly installed. But I mean, come on, I've, been, I've we've seen really bad images of turbulences. I remember that Singapore airline flights maybe like two years ago. Well, like you had drinks on the oh, ceilings God, yeah. and stuff. <laughs> But that was must have been quite something. Anyway, going back to some more relevant story, a friend of mine, Hiroko Tabuchi. She writes for the New York Times. She used to live in Tokyo, that's where I, I met her. She, she's very followed on, on Twitter if you want to follow, I'll I'll put the link in the show notes and she must So Simon Biles, I think I yes, pronounced it correctly. Simon, sorry, Simon Biles. She won a few gold medals during the Olympics, and uh, United was flying her back to the U.S., and Hiroko said, what? She won, and you're putting her in coach?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a, this, and I think she's right to call them out. She Simone Biles won 475 gold medals at the Olympics and was just incredible. And United Airlines sponsored the U.S. Olympic team, and there's this picture of her... <laughs> And it was, the original picture was not a, a dig or a complaint at United Airlines. It was just uh, taken by one of her teammates saying, look how quickly she fell asleep. But then you, your friend was like, come on, she she won four gold medals and you, she was the flag bearer. And you put her in economy, and it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> fair, fair enough. I think also Unita's response was so just sort of bland and and yeah, they just said, we're exceptionally proud of all our Olympians, and we're glad Miss Biles enjoyed her flight back. It's like you didn't answer the criticism you just yeah you just dodged it so but uh, yeah, well, yeah she's not uh, she didn't get a million miles.
0: For sure, no, no, exactly. Uh, United's customer service has never been considered good. You know, they usually answer you a lot of bland responses. Oh, my flight is late. We hope you enjoyed your flight. They're like, okay, fine. Yeah, it's I mean, clearly you can just. S- this a is something bot. you and me rave about. We, we can see which airlines have given their frontline ownership of issues. And United is clearly not one of them, no. um, sadly. There's been a reshuffle at United. Uh, they changed, I think, the CFO and the COO. Uh, Munoz is cleaning house. Will that change anything? We'll see. The thing that I didn't know is that you know, United and Continental merged. And I didn't realize that for all those years since they merged, because that's not new, the flight attendants didn't have a contract. I mean, they still were on their grandfather contract from the old airlines, which meant, because that's the crazy thing, it means that if you were a United crew, you could only fly it on United metal. And if you were a Continental crew on Continental metal. So, that you, you know, for a merger, that's a disaster because you can leverage some kind of the symbiosis between, you know, two X big airlines and... And they finally got a contract. The union signed it. But I, I was totally unaware of that.
1: I didn't know that either. That's given how long that that merger has been done, at least on paper.
0: That's incredible. You know, the state of the US is like BA. You know, there's some stuff that we can rejoice. There's some stuff we're still baffled about sometimes yeah. with the US airline industry. The the big scandal, of course, at the Olympics with, for the US team was uh, Ryan. Uh, how do you pronounce his last name? I Lochte? I was, Lochte, yeah. Not because i don't pronounce it in a German way. Let's not dwell on that bit of the story. The interesting bit for us because we took Airlines, I think it was American Airlines who flew his teammates or the other swimmers, because of that old story that was happening surrounding them, they were curtained off in the plane. So we're going from Simone who gets a normal seats in economy to swimmers who get curtained off in the plane. <laughs> and you'll notice that they were in uh, in business class. Clearly. You can recognize the front of the cabin on American Airlines there up to that to go where to go to BA because BA what they did uh it's not to say that wow the great britain is better but they had an entire plane for the entire team and they actually even rebranded the plane and they called it I think it was Victorious with the yep. R E O as Rio that was pretty very cool. cute <laughs> but you see that's i mean we we know that the ratings on NBC for the Olympics were dismal uh sadly maybe but I guess some other countries were more happy to fly their teams back than the, some of these US airlines. Yeah. Did you Do see one? the picture of the plane? Uh, only from the outside, not inside. Yeah, I didn't, it? I didn't.
1: I, I, well, they, they posted some pictures of, of, the, of them all having a grand time on the way back. But I love the, the, the gold nose cone. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah,
0: Yeah. that was amazing.
1: Great, Great Britain
0: finished number second on the Second, uh, yeah. Uh, you must be happy, Alex, because you're both American and British. Your first and second? Yeah, exactly. It's too easy, man. You have the best passports. Have <laughs> you uh, read that story about that panic that happened at GFK?
1: Yeah, I did. There was this reports of shots fired and that kind of one thing led to another and there was essentially two stampedes. People thought that there was something terrible going on and you know, with Recent events that have happened around the world at airports, you know, in in, in Brussels and in, in Istanbul, you can see why people were a little bit alarmed. But uh, this wasn't a thing, was it?
0: <laughs> okay, it's not speculation, but that comes from an official source. It could have been that during... I think it was Sunday night, during the 100 meters men. So when Usain Bolt won the gold medal, people were clapping so hard because they were encouraging him that some people got scared and that then led to a panic. It's, I found that pretty unbelievable. But if that's the case, it's just crazy. (laughs) Yeah. But if you think about it,
1: you hear, you hear people and you hear the clapping and you hear the yelling it just takes one or two people, as this article in in New York Magazine kind of points out. Just takes one or two people to kick off, and then, you know, panic in a already kind of heightened sense of tension in an airport. Um, but it was the most extraordinary. It was like it was a stampede for literally nothing. Kevin
0: Rose no. was it in an airport? Uh, was Nice? Was he? Uh, yeah, it was he Nice. Also, and also that airport was completely evacuated. Uh, I saw that on his Snapchat because you know abandoned. Baggage. People, are, were really—you can feel that. You know, people are anxious about that kind of thing these days, which understandably so. But it's, uh, you know, airport officials, must, you know, like, oh shit, there's a, a abandoned package. We have to close off the entire airport. Wow. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and they don't take any risks. They're, they're going to err on the side of caution every single time and 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 evacuate, which is disruptive. But
0: I don't think anybody can blame them for making those choices. So back to back to BA because you fly BA. Quite often, you will fly them quite often. We'll talk about that in the next episode. We will have done all these flights. I fly them from time to time. I will fly them next week. Uh, So BA is like that story with the US. Sometimes it's great. There's some stuff you're like, come on. Uh, The Economist wrote an article on why BA is failing its customers. The same story as you and me say, you know, they're cutting on stuff. The big story was BA is cutting on food for long haul flights. Uh, So Alex, if you are in coach, you won't get a second meal. Uh, your second meal will be a small, very tiny bar of chocolate. Uh, and if you're in premium economy, I think your second uh, meal is transformed into a snack. Uproar everywhere. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I was a little disappointed
1: to read that because it is a noticeable difference on BA that, you know, on these long haul flights, especially on the daytime long haul flights. So from london to the west coast getting that second hot meal is nice it's 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 a differentiator virgin atlantic haven't done it for years they give you this sort of what they call on that afternoon tea which is some stale sandwiches and a maybe a a bar of something it's not terrible but it's not great either it's it's a it's a shame and it's the kind of thing that people notice
0: i agree that's the thing and i i think especially that Tiny, you know, these tiny bar of chocolates like you get from, it's not even hotel rooms, you know, really, that is, it looks stingy. Even, you know, the fact that they give you that, you like, give me nothing, just don't give me something that is like five grams. Interestingly though, the, you know, the CEO of BA is the guy who basically founded Welling, which is a yeah. low-cost airline, and he wanted actually to have people pay for their food at BA, the way a lot of low-costs are, are dealing. You know what? I'd rather have that. Yeah, as long
1: as the ticket prices were reflective. Uh, ref- of course, that, no, of that course. Changed, you know, because they're not. I mean, it's expensive to fly on BA, and you you pay for that. You know, you
0: expecting these uh, these additional extras, which they're cutting back on. If you ever fly BA, you'll feel the difference. Uh, there's a lot of people complaining. I don't think BA will change its stance, but that will be interesting to see. Also, the unions have uh, have called for an industrial action which doesn't translate into a strike, so I don't know exactly what it means, but it means that also the personnel of BA is not really happy. But to say good things about BA the release, because that's really for us, the AV geeks, have you seen that video of the approach of Lucy?
1: Yes, so cool. <laughs> so cool. And it's great when airlines do this. It's it's, it's, it's spectacular. A,
0: and it's your favorite airport in London. It really is. Now, now that, <laughs> that, that, that approach is really, really fun. The other thing that they've announced uh, and you fly uh, sometimes business with them is a new seat for I think it's for the A350 and you when I sent you the news you told me hallelujah
1: <laughs> finally yeah because I think I've mentioned in past episodes the weird setup that they have in in business on the A380 and, and 777 and 787 where you if you're in a window seat you have to you don't have aisle access except for maybe one or two rows throughout the entire cabin and you have to step over the person next to you which is super awkward and Thankfully, with this new version, which will be on the 350, you don't. Everybody gets aisle access.
0: I think more and more that's super important for people who are ready to pay that kind of money in front they want to have access. So the reverse earring bone and ring bone have one issue is that they limit the number of seats. So in order to have two, 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 for instance, you have to find a way to give L access. And this is one way. So it's interesting.
1: To, yeah, um, I think it's a good solution. I think it's, it's a, a good, good solution. The seat doesn't look massively different compared to the, the one now, but just that change alone makes me rejoice. I don't know when their A350s are due to come into service. I don't think it's
0: for a while, but I'm
1: looking forward to, to
0: experiencing it. Yeah, and uh, a few months ago, Ben wrote on One Mile at a Time an article about what are the, the features of the best business seat. And Aalaxis was one, and this is why he says that it's called the Apex Suite. You can find it on Korean Air, Japan Airlines, Oman Air, and others, where they have exactly what you want, which is even though it's a two-two-two, if you're at the window, you have your own access back to the ale. and that's really what people want, I guess, when they pay the kind of amount of money. Yeah,
1: it's just yeah, it's it's such a first world problem, but it's
0: contextually it's a big problem talking about food so BA is reducing the food but of course the best food is often found in the front of the cabin obviously uh, airlines seems to be upping each other in that department uh, there's this guy a blogger that takes lots of pictures of airplane food but also like reviews it which is, is different than only reviewing the seat and whatever i take pictures of every single meal i've had in a plane i have a picture of so probably have like thousands of pictures but i've never reviewed it and this guy actually ranked what are the best uh, airlines for food. And he says, Cathay is not there, but maybe he hasn't flown it. He says, Singapore Airlines first, Aegean second, Japan Airlines third, Fly Nikki fourth, and then Turkish fifth. I've of only flown
1: on two of those airlines.
0: Probably he hasn't flown all the airlines in the world. And it's also very personal. Food is very personal. Yeah. Uh, At the end of the day, I would say that Singapore, yes, it was... I mean, you flown it. It's great. You said last episode, Cathay was better. I thought Cathay was...
1: The food was incredible. I thought that the last meal I had on Singapore Airlines in premium economy was inedible. But then Japan Airlines in economy was fantastic.
0: I've done A in Economy and A ANA in Business and both were fantastic and it's not in that list, which you know tells you it's better than a small bar of chocolate by BA. Sorry guys at BA I keep yeah. <laughs> swimming you. No, it's in. a good but point. The, I think it's uh, important. So, if you don't want to fly BA to go to the US, for instance, the other airline you could take is obviously Virgin Atlantic, and now they will have live TV.
1: Yeah, they're they're introducing live TV, which is which is very cool. Three channels initially, it's CNN, BBC, and a sports channel. No one else has this across the Atlantic, I don't think. I think it's an, a neat little addition. Just one you, more differentiator.
0: But do you watch TV? At home and, or in a plane? I, on
1: long haul, I absolutely watch the IFE on, on demand because you can pick and choose what you want. Yeah, I think I watch live TV on airplanes for the novelty. But there's also there's something quite nice about being connected to the ground in that way. You're, yeah, not, okay. you're not sort of in stasis as you travel through the sky. You're still connected in some way to everything
0: else that's going on around you which I don't like but I'd rather be like (laughs) in stasis but uh, you know maybe I'm a court cutter whatever I you know I watch on demand even at home I never probably almost never watch the only thing that I would say is still relevant to me as a live TV is sports because whether it's the Olympics whether the Euro Cup or the World Cup for soccer football yeah of course because you want to see in the moment and i remember having that experience with emirates because emirates is one of the sponsors of the world cup they had live feeds of the world cup and that was pretty amazing okay the feed sometimes broke down because we're in the middle of nowhere but already the feed, and that was years ago it was amazing so that for that yes but then we come back to the point of you know emirates was the main sponsor of the world cup so they have the rights that channel on Virgin Atlantic might not have their rights for the NFL, from the NBA, from the Premier League, or whichever sports you're into, and then you end up with a channel which is Alexander and Paul talking about what happened yesterday, right? I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure. I'm just being speculative here.
1: No, I think you're right. I think you know JetBlue had this in the U.S. fifteen, sixteen years ago. Virgin America had it, and I, I have to say, I quite liked you know on a flight from Vegas to San Francisco. Cracking open a beer and watching a baseball game. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know?
0: That, yes. I liked they, that. It was cool. But they, but they had the rights because they were domestic. I'm not sure that would happen it was Transatlantic. Yeah, no,
1: I think, you know, we talked about this briefly the other day that, you know, when there's so many rights issues as you go from one jurisdiction to another, it makes it, it makes it really hard. But you know, it's, I I still think it's neat. I think it's an, it's a it's a good differentiator for for Virgin Atlantic, and it'll be interesting to see if Delta adopt this too.
0: Oh, they yeah, they're moving together. At, uh, I think at Ethrope the there Delta was always because I used to fly them uh, as it was a SkyTeam Platinum, whatever they call it. It was a T4, and they're moving to T3 because of Virgin. So they're abandoning the Sky Team terminal. They're moving with Virgin. So yeah, they're aligning themselves. I don't know. So maybe they'll have live TV. You remember, because you just hinted at it, I didn't have the IFE uh, at that uh, X uh, BMI 321 by BA. Uh, I'm flying to Beirut Sunday. I'll fly there with MEA, Middle Eastern Airlines, and I'll fly back with BA. And I think I am on that 321 again. So nice. I'll see now you if they will. You have it. I have fee. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. I'll tell you all about it when we record next. In the last episode, we talked about Farnborough, some of the numbers, and uh, we talked about the difference uh, in strategies between Airbus and Boeing. So we want to go a little bit in there for a little bit, because what I hadn't seen when we recorded last time, there was these numbers uh, that uh, went up by Aviation Week about the number of white bodies sold by Boeing. Ouch. If you look at the <laughs> numbers uh, there, the article is behind a paywall, guys, so you cannot see it if you're not uh, registered to Aviation Week. But there's a Twitter update with the main numbers. Uh, have you seen those numbers, Alex? Yeah, it's, uh, it's not
1: looking good, is it?
0: No, it's not. Uh, you can see that the narrow bodies, the you know, short to medium hull plane, seven thirty-seven, is super successful. But then we know that the 747 is, you know, dying, sadly, because yeah. we see the numbers and you're like, basically no one is ordering it. But then what I didn't realize is that this 777 is not being ordered that much either. I You
1: know what? I don't think this includes the 777X. There's no way it can because that's proven to be hugely popular. So I think that there's... These are the
0: current planes being delivered and being in production, I think, or something.
1: But you're right. I mean, all those 767s, of which there's 81 in the order backlog, those are all
0: cargo. The title of the article, Innovation Week, you know, says it all. It says the scale of Boeing's white body sales challenge revealed. So there is a challenge there. And it's, it's interesting because I always thought, you know, Boeing being this very good at you know, these white bodies. You know, for me, the 777 is... Of course, the 747 is iconic, but a 777 is almost a default white body because the 340 was never that good. Now the 350 is getting better. The 380 is basically Emirates and a few others. Nobody else is buying it. So for me, the white body long haul was 777. And now, of course, the smaller version, which is a 787. But take a look at the number, guys. The, the, The end of the 747, yet another article by the Daily Beast... Man, it looks it's like we're having obituaries about that place. Yeah, I think I think
1: that's exactly what it is. That's uh, the point where we're getting to now. It's just, shit. These are bit, yeah, it's it's a shame and, and you know, I don't I, like we said in the last episode, every now and then there's one or two here, five there, almost always cargo. It's you know, it's a shame, but I think we should try and get on them while we
0: still can. No, <laughs> I don't want to hear this. <laughs> uh, actually, one of our listeners, Elizabeth from D.C., she told me she flew Lufthansa 748, so the seven four seven eight i These are brand new planes. So we have, for that one, we have some time to fly. They're not a lot. But if you fly Lufthansa, you can actually still fly it. So, And she enjoyed the experience. So we, we should do that, Alex. We yeah, we should. Fly Lufthansa. The, we should.
1: Any, any 748 operators out there that want to <laughs> get us on, you know, you're not going to get any protests from this end.
0: <laughs> and uh, that thing, amazing. The 747 super tanker immersive experience. So this cool. Is. So, so wh- cool. How do they do that? Do you think I was do just co- going to
1: ask you the same question, but there's this company called Matterport and Matterport.com. And we'll post the links. But they have this like almost virtual reality 3D space that you can explore, which is the inside of a, of a super tanker. And you can f- kind of basically float through it and use your keyboard or your mouse to move around. So cool!
0: They must have taken loads of 360 photos inside, and then like just recollected them and you know stitched them some, together, yeah, stitched them together or something. Uh, can you maybe for those who don't know, can you define what a 747 super tanker is? Because people might not know.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, basically on the inside, it's got these um, these huge tanks, and it's designed for putting out big uh, forest fires. And it's uh, I think it's Evergreen International first did it. But it's basically 747s that have uh, fire retardant in them. And they can fly over very low altitude and dump nearly 20,000 gallons of this stuff onto uh, these these huge uh, fires, which are happening in in California right now. And they've happened in Spain in the past and and various other places. But it's incredible to watch.
0: It even works on mobile, which is pretty saggy. At least on my iPhone 6 Plus S, whatever the name is. It actually did work. So it, it. you should, guys, if you love, you know, a little bit of geekery and being inside a plane, it's really well done. I wonder if something like that could be done uh, with some, you know, AR glasses or something VR, because it almost looks like you have like VR glasses on. Yeah,
1: it's very cool. They did a great job.
0: To Airbus, so we said that Airbus was uh, almost as gloating, like, oh, we did more sales than Boeing, la la la. Yeah. Well, just a week after they said that, uh, basically now they're getting like a snap of the hand and more than that, because for the first time they're being hit by an anti-fraud investigation in the UK. And what it means is that there are suspicions that Airbus was not playing completely OK with, you know, potential briberies uh, yeah. whilst actually sending planes. The simple fact that they have this investigation is actually already selling because it's not, not the kind of investigation that are launched lightly, yeah. uh, especially because, you know, Airbus is a European manufacturer. So if you even if you think about some political entanglement here, Europeans will not shoot themselves in the food. So there might be something in there. We don't know yet, but it's not a good news for for Airbus. Of course, the, the Americans are rejoicing, says we have laws that are regulations are more stringent. It's time that Airbus gets on the program as well. I don't know where that's going to lead, but that's, uh, well. Wow. Yeah, it seems like a bit of a PR black eye, but who knows what will come from it. But Airbus, on appear uh, News first, because it was just out of nowhere, They said that within 10 years, they want to have flying taxis in cities. What? Yeah. (laughs) uh, (laughs) We know they have, you know, a VC arm, we do research in drones. We know they also have helicopters. Airbus is much bigger than just doing the planes that you actually, you and me sit in. But they are apparently looking into making flying taxis. So basically small pods, like the one you took from uh, Terminal 5. (laughs) But these ones will be actually flying and picking you up. Uh, 10 years? I'll go to see you in your house with an Airbus. That would be
1: kind of cool. That would be cool. I mean, again, 10 years is probably a little ambitious when we still haven't cracked
0: supersonic. <laughs> but the thing that really interested me, and I will thank Eric Hoffman for sending me the story. Airbus is developing, you know, the 330 is a big plane, but it's developing a regional 330. So that would be basically a wide body plane for short to medium haul. It's kind of like the 747SP, isn't it? Yeah, almost. It's smaller, so it can accommodate smaller airports, maybe not, of course, tiny airports. I was reminded when, I, when Eric sent me that story that I think a year ago, the CEO of Airbus said that probably, okay, probably means nothing when you just say it like this, but probably the next version of the 320, not the NEO, so what it will actually be the next version of the 320, right. might be a 2L aircraft. Not a single L, because it will resolve the turnaround times. Because people go out and in faster when you have two Ls than one, so it creates basically a small wide-body plane. The 330 regional is that same ID. I get
1: the 330 regional, but surely it would be easier to connect a set of stairs and have people coming off both, you know, the front and aft exits.
0: That surely would fix it. Even with the current frame of the 320. Uh, which is, guys, if you live in the U.S., if you've never seen a 320, it's like the, the seven thirty-seven. You usually have what is it, three three? So you yeah. could do, you could do like two two two, and have uh, small ales. That's gonna know, be very interesting um, to see if they actually go there.
1: Yeah, I can't because something's got to give right you have to make the fuselage wider or the seats narrower
0: yeah (laughs) so what's it gonna be (laughs) we'll talk in the next episodes about the uh new kind of economy seats that are being thought about that could actually help have a better uh, experience in the back of the cabin uh but yeah it's 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 interesting to to see where, where this goes The one thing that has not been totally solved, at least for short-haul travels, and we come back to also what we said at the very top of the show, is what you put on the overhead, so the carry-on. And of course, it seems that every week we have a new smart carry-on that Alex loves so much (laughs) coming onto the market. So this week, not one, but two. So first is one that has all the features, blah, blah, blah. Now they also, it's like the three US airlines. They all do the same thing. They charge your phones. They have like batteries and wires and stuff. The one thing that this one has that nobody else had until now is assisted compression.
1: Yeah, I'm still, I looked, they've got a GIF on their site. And I guess basically it helps you squish your luggage down or squish your, your the contents of your bag down. Correct. And it's exactly. this patent-pending technology. Um, and they refer to it as the one-knee compression. Like you, you stick your, you know, you kneel on the bag and try and get the zip closed. So they're trying to raise a million, million bucks, a million dollars, a million, <laughs> million dollars for a carry-on. And, of course, well, it's bro. got your chargers and your, you know, makes you espresso and all that stuff. You know, what? it's funny, actually, because my beloved backpack, which I go on like maybe if I'm going for three days is sort of the maximum for my carry on, has finally died. So I actually spent like a good three or four hours the other day researching and I've settled on a bag and it should arrive in the next few days. It's not smart by any stretch of the imagination, but I will let you know how I get on with it. It doesn't have one click impression. It doesn't have batteries or anything like that. I certainly can't drive it, so. <laughs> but I'll let you know how it
0: goes. You said backpack. Is it a backpack with wheels or is it an actual no, carry-on? No,
1: it's, a, it's, a, it's an actual kind of backpack rucksack that can be also carried like a duffel bag. Okay. Um, that probably yeah, gives away me. which one it is, but.
0: is. You'll, t- you'll tell us about it uh, next time because you'll be traveling with it, I guess, so you'll have some more uh, feedback. I'm also looking, so I'm, I'm not changing my carry-on, travel pro, love it, never going to change it. It will never die. and It's been through hell and back. My backpack, I still haven't found the one I want. So maybe I'll follow your advice, Alex. The other smart carry-on that just went on is called Barracuda. Mm, wow, that's a—that's what a fancy name. Again, has all the stuff: location tracking, USB charger. Well, two things I like. It has first, it, if you live, especially in a you know city like Hong Kong, Tokyo, or if you have a very small apartment. The carry-on kind of folds, so it takes a very, very, very small footprint when it's actually empty, which is a nice idea. It has nothing to do with being smart; it's just yes. a nice idea. It's it's smart
1: in the traditional sense of the word, and they've spent a lot of time on the ergonomics of this device, the handling handle systems, yes. how it collapses. Ha- it's got a built-in laptop tray in the ha- so you can like, if you're in a in the in the departure lounge, you can sit with this bag in front of you pull out this very robust looking handle and then kind of a laptop tray folds down, which which is quite cool,
0: actually. You hinted at the other feature I like, I'm not sure about how it looks, is the handle is, again, nothing with electronics, nothing to do with your smartphone, but just the fact that, you know, when you are carrying your carry-on, you it's, they say, I think, something like, you don't have to move your hand. Usually you have to adapt your... Yes. Your hand to the way actually the carry on goes especially in uneven grounds etc this one the handle on the top of the thing that you know unfolds in the telescopic handle is a 360 swivel i think this is something simple that is smart again in the old way of the word yeah it looks it looks like they've put a lot of
1: thought into if you took away all of the quote unquote smart bits would this still be a good piece of luggage and I think that's probably a very healthy lens to to view projects
0: like this through. Well, I'm not sure you will buy either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, not, not, not anytime soon. I have a travel pro as well for, for longer trips like you, and I, I love it.
0: So uh, I didn't have actually my uh, Cariano when I was last at uh, Rome FCO. So there's two airports in Rome. FCO Fiumicino is the international one, though the other one also has international flights. You know that in Europe an airport can be called international just by flying to the next country. So it's always a bit, you know, it's not the same thing as some other countries like the US were. But anyway, I talked about it, I think, a year ago, in May 2015. It has just took fire. Yes, they had a so, huge fire. Yeah, Terminal 3 was engulfed in flames. I think nobody was hurt, but half of the airport was closed down. The terminal service was closed down. Terminal 3 is the busiest in terms of international flights. I literally, when they are i think it was three days after the fire so you could still you know smell the sulfur people had masks so my first experience at fiumicino was dire i told myself okay this is not their fault so how can i judge the airport on that i could see that still the experience if i remove that whole fire thing was really not great What difference a year makes? I was there, like you said, yeah, last month. It was end of July to see Iron Maiden in Rome. It's my fifth or sixth time seeing them, I think, uh, with a friend because we said, you know what, let's not go to the UK because it's going to rain on us. Let's go to Rome. Good thinking. It's still not perfect, but they've made improvements the same way I mentioned the improvements at Gatwick in another episode you have a lot of stuff that's now is being purely automated. So every single thing was automated. I obviously didn't have a set. I didn't have a carry-on, just a small backpack because it was literally there for two and a half days. So I didn't have to go through any check-in procedures you know, with a desk, so I cannot judge that. But the rest, so I had my morning pass on my phone, there was a first gate that opens to, you know, when they actually check whether or not you're allowed to enter the airside side area. Right. Then the same thing happened for Passport. My passport was readable by another gate. I went from curbside to the gate in less than seven minutes in such a big airport. Amazing. We're talking 40 million people, so it's not a small airport, guys. Uh, and this, of course, it's the experience of Terminal 3. I cannot judge the experience of Terminal 1 and 2. I want to make that clear because we had some other reviews of airports where we were so enthusiastic, then realizing that another terminal was not that good. So, yeah. but, but terminal three is for you. If you fly internationally, you'll be in from and out, and this is really the one you should know. It's great when you land, though. It's still not perfect. When you land, it's still too small. It's still too cramped. It's still again. I didn't have to wait for you know my luggage and a belt or anything, but I could of course see that bit it still needs improvement. So we're not talking about the quality, of course, of any Asian airport, but it still not matches, for instance, of course, Amsterdam, which are, you know, staple airport in, in Europe. But I was impressed. I would have said last year, it's one of the worst big airports I've been in Europe. Now I will confidently say it's a big airport, but I had a very pleasant experience. Do not be discouraged because you also have that feeling of sometimes people have a bad idea of Alitalia still mm-hmm. do you have you flown them recently Yes way? remember Al- I
1: did the regional flight oh yeah I did those four legs and all four of them were late but the food was good food was excellent and the the crew were nice so I would absolutely fly Alitalia again and the in fact a- I remember we talked about this a while ago that the and reading some reports on airliners that the premium product has been completely
0: transformed on their long haul as well. And they are making a lot of improvements. Uh, of course, I cannot judge because I haven't tried it, but what I mean is that there is a bit of an image of, oh, you know, we're gonna land in Italy, it's gonna be messy, it's not gonna work, etc., etc., etc. Sadly, that's still the image. I went to, to Fiumicino, not everything is perfect, but I was surprised. I was saying, okay, guys, this is how you make a modern airport now. It's a retrofit, so it's not a new terminal. But this is how you should make a new airport. You put automation everywhere you can to make you and me have a very easy, understandable experience in the airport. As long as it works, unlike uh, Heathrow and Gatwick, as we've (laughs) we've learned. But they're getting better. They're getting better. Of course, you have to have a biometric passport. If not, you have to go through the normal gates. The time I was in was uh, a Friday, and the other day was a Sunday, so, you know, busy time because in the summer, it looked like it was okay, it was flow, meaning people were not backed up for hours waiting to pass security and or passport control. So the one thing I will say to our friends listening from the US, if you are traveling with a US carrier, you will land and depart from Terminal 5, which I haven't visited. So I cannot tell you if that one is good, but I trust that you can tell us and let us know if you have actually hated that experience. And if you're in Europe and you fly low-cost, you'll probably fly through Terminal 2. I've done it as well. Nothing to write home about. Yeah, The airport is not very close to the city, but not also that far. Basically, it takes you half an hour by car to get into the city. And But there's a train if you want to take it. So I've, I've taken the train. works really well. The main station in Rome, Termini, is also well done. The train were brand new. I took like the regional train because actually the gig, our maiden gig, was on the other side of the city, next to the other airport. I could actually see Ryanair flights and Wizz Air flights landing. So that was pretty cool to see both, you know, bands at the same time uh, takeoffs <laughs> and landings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ditch that image. People are thinking that Sicily is never gonna work. It works well and Fiumicino Terminal 3, at least, works really well. Would I do a LA layover there? Well, when I have Rome next to it, which is one of the most beautiful city, I prefer it over Paris, sorry, my French friends. And the food? No, just don't stay at the airport, guys. you <laughs> <laughs> have Rome next
1: to you, Yeah. Rome. Yeah, you got to get
0: out. <laughs> well, on that, Alex, we are both lining up a lot of flights. Your first flight, too, because you mentioned last episode, you are like three times in the West or four times in San Francisco, I don't remember. Your yes. first flight is soon, right?
1: Yeah, I'm bouncing around North America a lot over the next month. So California, D.C., New York, most of that on on BA, but a few, obviously, domestic flights as well. So the first one will be? Uh, San Francisco on a BA
0: 380. Oh, the 380. Yes. Uh, oh, you'll tell us about that. I've never flown the 380 with BA. Uh, as me, as I said, I'm flying in a few days to Beirut, and I'll have many other flights coming up, probably, you know, Singapore, Tokyo, Beirut again, Sofia, I think, and others. Salina not the U.S., so I won't be able to see Alex and record an episode there, but we'll try to record an episode in the middle of September where we both are in front of our computers. That'll prove a challenge, but we'll try. But on that, safe travels. Safe travels, guys. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.